following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Good morning. Hmm. All that, and then we get to open God's Word together. It's wonderful. Well, um, full disclosure... We are about to wade into the deep end of the pool, even though the waters of my experience have, have only brought me angle deep. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I really wanted to get through verse 1 through 7. We're going to go through 1 and 2. <laughs> That's how it went. That's page 991 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. And up on the screen as well, I think. And we're going to talk about the importance and power of prayer. But before we talk about prayer, maybe we ought to do it. So let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful for your love for us. We're so thankful that you have adopted us by faith as your children. You have washed away our sin by faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us so many great gifts the presence and power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, the gift of prayer, to be able to talk openly with you. We pray now that uh, you would speak to us through your word, uh, even speak through me. Lord, um, may these be your words this morning, even if that means scrapping a sermon. Um, I pray that you would speak, that we would hear your voice and would have soft hearts to receive your message. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, First Timothy chapter 2, uh, chapter two start at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and the truth. May God's blessing be on his word this morning. As we read through there, you can see there's an awful lot in those seven verses. So even the thought of trying to tackle that all at one time, I think, is too ambitious for anyone. Hmm. There are a lot of layers in these verses, um, and it seems to me, at least, that there are some things that need to be pointed out and maybe in our lives even corrected. Hmm. And I said at the outset that um, I've only waded ankle-deep in the matter of prayer because... Um, Quite honestly, 
that seemed to me at least about as deep as my prayer life has ever gone. Um, I get a lot of credit for being a person who prays, and I get asked to pray for people in particular circumstances. But the truth is, I don't deserve any credit for being like that at all. My prayer life is a little bit like a kiddie pool compared to uh, the ocean. And that uh, brings us to our text this morning. Hmm. Paul, writing to Timothy, reminds us of the primary importance of prayer in the church. Now remember, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, which is a personal letter, but Timothy is also a leader within a church. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to straighten out some false teaching, to instruct the church on the proper use of the law of Moses, to really put the church back in order. It has gotten out of control. And teaching the importance of prayer to the church was part of waging the good warfare, like we talked about last week. It's part of it for Timothy. It's part of it for the church there in Ephesus. And it's part of waging the good warfare for us even today. Hmm. You know, I feel like right now, I feel like a guy tried to sell a car, a fancy car to someone that uh, rides a goat back and forth to work and uh, sits on a fat wallet that could buy a car and just doesn't. That's what I feel like. There are wonderful things available to us. There are wonderful things available to me in prayer, and yet I'd just as soon ride a goat than ride in a Cadillac. I feel stupid. <laughs> I'm going to read what I wrote because I trust it's from the Lord. So hear it from Him and not from me. There are wonderful effects that prayer has on people. As a church, when we pray together, we get our hearts focused on the Lord from the beginning. That's why we pray in the beginning of our service together. We focus on Him, on who He is and what He can do. We recognize that He is sovereign, meaning that we can't do anything good without His help, and that He is in control of all things, and all things belong to Him. I want to stop blowing on that. That's... <clears throat> when we pray according to God's will, it puts our humanity in perspective which we need to do. Because what we say when we pray is that He is God and we are not. And that's a very important declaration. So Paul gives us four different words for prayer here. Supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Uh, any good preacher would say, well, here's our message. We'll talk about these four things and close in prayer and off we go to lunch. And I have a baseball game to make it, so it would be in my interest to go quickly through it, but not in our best interest, I don't think, as a family. Some commentators and scholars believe that these four words 
supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, um, they're just kind of heaped up for emphasis. It's like he's saying prayer and prayer and prayer and prayer. Well, I don't think that's true. They're not all the same word. They're not the same in English. They're not the same in Greek. And they each carry a little different meaning. I don't want to go into a huge word study on each one of these because there is a more important word a little bit later that we need to look at. But each of these words are a bit like facets on a diamond. There are different aspects of the whole. So we look at those quickly, one at a time. The first word on Paul's list is supplication. And the Greek word for this, for supplication, means to beg or to plead. This is a request for help, an urgent cry for the filling of our own need. And what do we do when we do that? We do more than just bring that particular request before God. We, we admit that we are powerless over our circumstances. And if we're honest, we're powerless over the condition of our own hearts. We can't make two good decisions in a row. We need the Lord's help. And when we ask God for strength or help or wisdom or a new car, we're making supplication for our own needs. We, we are begging God for help. And I think maybe if we look at prayer a little bit more like this, to use that word beg is a little bit more serious than, hey God, it's me again. You know, we recognize that we are powerless to affect change in our own hearts. How could we think we're powerful to affect change in anything else? We need God's intervention, and we need to beg Him for help. Hmm. And I, um, Jesus said, don't just heap up the words like the Gentiles do, thinking that God will listen because of your many words. And if we, if we really act like we think we're lower than dirt, then God will answer our prayer then. Uh, that's not true either. This is a word of just pleading with God for help. And the next next word is prayers. Um, this this word means to make requests specifically of God, meaning that these are requests, uh, these are things that only God can answer. If we make um, supplication for ourselves or or. Uh, for a particular problem, there might be a need that uh, maybe we just need perspective and we can do something about it. But this word for prayers means something only God can do, which is, I get it, it's everything. But this, uh, like, we're asking for miracles. We're asking for healing broken hearts. Things like that. Intervening in hopeless circumstances. Um, these are needs that only God our Father can meet. And it doesn't need our involvement. doesn't need to use our hands to do it. Um, and I think if you think about our prayer together as a family, you will hear each one of these. It's not like we're going, we're in the uh, begging and pleading mode, and now we're going to move on to the prayers part, and now on to intercession. There, there, it's a fruit salad. It's all in there. Except for the mangoes, those are... Ugh. 
The third word, that's, that didn't have anything to do with you, Jake. <laughs> Mango. I know why. Sorry. Um, the third word is intercessions. Now, intercessions um, is a, prayer, the, a, t- a way that we pray most often in praying, uh, offering prayers on behalf of someone else. Um, a petition made to the king on behalf of a friend. Um, these are the concerns we feel for others and bring to the Lord uh, for them. Uh, when Craig and Mr. Aaron pray at the beginning of the service, uh, most often they're interceding for you or interceding for people you're interceding for. Um, often the prayers, the requests that you all bring are intercessions for someone else, for others. But here's the thing about intercession. Intercessions are often offered for needs that we can meet ourselves. We might not have thought of it yet, and we need the Lord to open our eyes to it. Like uh, praying for a hungry person in front of a full fridge. Oh, Lord, I hope you feed them today. And you stand in front of a, a full refrigerator. Or maybe praying for God's provision for funds for a church project. When all the funds required uh, come in and get sat on. for church and then go back out again. Um, God often uses His people to answer their own cries for help. We just have to be ready to listen and willing to obey His prompting. That's a tricky work, but it's important, and it is the work of the church. The fourth word is thanksgivings. Um, This is gratitude expressed to the Father for blessings and mercies received. These are often expressed through the songs that we sing, declaring the greatness of God, praising and adoring Him for what He has done. And we have a lot to be thankful for, don't you think? Well, let's not forget to express it. Hmm. Often uh, when I talk to people... I, uh, in, I don't know, in counseling or whatever you want to say, um, I hear very often, I don't know how to pray. How, how, I don't know how to do that. Well, here it is. This is a simple, simple thing. Bring your needs, the needs of others, before God with thanksgiving. Hmm. That's tough. Pretty simple. You know, Jesus was asked by his disciples how they should pray. Remember that? And how did he respond? He said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts even as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's how Jesus said to pray. It's not very far off from what we've been talking about. It's the same thing. In prayer, we admit our powerlessness and declare God's powerfulness. We admit our need 
and submit to his ability to supply. I know that this is simple. I don't know why I don't do it, but I know that it's simple. And the truth of the matter is, what we say when we pray is so much more important than what we say when we pray. Because when we pray, we say, Lord, I have, I, I have nothing. I bring nothing. I offer nothing. I can't, I can do nothing. And you have everything. You are everything. And I can't do anything without you. Well, that's all well and good. But it's also not all. Paul may have answered, how then shall we pray? But he also was kind enough to instruct us on who then should we pray for? Hmm. Says in verse 1, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made only for yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. Oh, so, mm, that's a poor translation. Mm, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for who then? Everyone. All people. Be made for all people. Well, who do we pray for? Everybody. Oh, boy. If our brother Dave was here, he would remind us that the word all means all. That's why it's written that way. All, without distinction. Now, this is important if you think about Paul and Timothy in the context that Timothy is in in Ephesus, where the church was still very divided racially. Not that it isn't today. But then the separation between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians was still very strong. And Paul spent a lot of his letters trying to get people to knock it off. So when he says pray for all people, it's more than just anybody that you can think of. There may have been an aisle in the middle of their meeting, but for a different reason than we have one. To keep the Jews on this side and the Gentiles on that side. Because uh, we've never interacted before, so why would we want to start now? Well, here's why. Because we are all one in Christ. So it wasn't that the Jews only pray for the Jews and Gentiles only pray for the Gentiles. There is no distinction in the word all. All means all. So when we think about ourselves, which we're often doing anyway... We are to pray without bias, even for those we disagree with or those who have wronged us, because people are not the enemy, remember? People are not our enemy. We talked about this last week. The enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil, not people. People are the victims. And what do victims need? Help. They need deliverance. They need rescue. How are they going to do that? How are they going to get that? God's intervention is still on the way. He may intervene through us, may intervene through some other way or some other person. But what can we do? 
we can pray. We can pray for them. Um, I don't want to tell you a personal story, but I'm afraid I have to. Um, there has been a person in the past that was an adversary to me, was uh, critical of me and the things I was doing. And it was irritating. And I didn't like it. I wanted him to stop. Well, what's the easy way to do that? Choke him out, right? Knock it off or I'll punch you in the face. That's what I want to do because that's my flesh at work. Um, but as I'm uh, lay in bed, think about this and ask the Lord what to do about this situation. The Lord convicted me that I had been doing the same thing that he was doing to me to somebody else. Be critical and not supportive and not doing the right things. And so rather than pray, Lord, make him stop. I start to pray, Lord, make me stop first and help him. Because there's something going on in him, just like there's something going on in me. And you're the only one that can do anything about it. We need to pray that the Lord would intervene. Because the people are the victims, not the enemy. And we don't pray for people because the people are good. If you pray for people because they deserve it, you find that you won't pray very much. We don't pray because people are good. We pray for people because God is good. Not because we love people, but because we love God. And we recognize that God could love, God loves them more than we could ever love them. More than we ever will or ever could. And though Paul says to pray for everybody without distinction based on race or creed or color, he does give us a special group of people to intentionally pray for. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul instructs us, the Lord instructs us through Paul, plainly to pray for those in our government. And before anyone, I don't talk politics with people, but before anybody starts to think, well, Paul didn't have our president. <laughs> I want you to know some historical facts. At the time that Paul wrote this letter, do you know who the emperor of Rome was? Nero. Nero. Yeah. Do you know what Nero was known for? <laughs> All of those things. He's best known for his persecution of the church, for burning Christians alive to light his parties. Human torches, for burning the city of Rome while he did nothing and then blamed the church for it. So, at a time when the emperor was Nero, the church was instructed to pray for the king and for all those in high positions. 
Tertullian, who is one of the early church fathers, lived in the second century in North Africa, uh, gave us a list of some of the things that he prayed for, for the Roman emperor. He's in the same empire. First, he prayed for long life. Second, for secure dominions. Third, a safe home. Fourth, a faithful senate. Fifth, for righteous people. And sixth, for a peaceful world. That's how the early Christians prayed for their governmental leaders. This is how they pray for emperors that want to destroy the church. Now notice that Tertullian didn't pray for a peaceful and quiet life. Lord, just make my problems go away, even if it means you got to snuff out a couple of jerks. That's not what he prayed for. But by following Paul's instructions here, by praying for those in power, the result is peace and quiet in the world. Same is true for us. I'm not talking about politics from up here. I have some thoughts that are interesting about what's happened in our world now. And I believe it's as a result of prayers rather than anger. But I won't go into it right now. Paul certainly did not endorse Nero's policies. And we may not agree with every decision our government makes all the way down to our local officials or the code enforcement officer, not just the president. But our responsibility remains to pray for them, to pray for long life and secure dominions and safe homes and faithful senates and righteous peace people and a peaceful world. That's the responsibility of the church. Because peace in our community is directly related to the prayers of the church. Peace in our country is directly related to the prayers of the church. If the church does not pray, we are the children, adopted children of Almighty God. And if we don't pray for our country, for our communities, for our towns, who is going to? There's nobody left. This is our responsibility. And I think the truth is we'd like to think that our faith sets us apart from the world. But if our faith, if our trust in God does not result in fervent prayer, if it does not result in our behavior constantly declaring our dependence on God Almighty, are we really any different than anyone else? We might as well be the Kiwanis Club. Prayer not only changes the world, but it changes us. When our concern for others and for those in authority align with the Lord's, we start to go beyond just the label of Christians, but start to live lives that our text refers to as godly and dignified in every way. What he meant by those two words, godly and dignified, there in verse 2, means that in our disposition towards God, 
we would be conscious of what is required in life with respect to God and to our fellow man and to ourselves. This word godly is a kind of spiritual savoir-faire, just to know what to do, how to act. And dignified in our disposition towards others, we would be respectful and courteous, recognizing that people are not our enemy, but merely victims of our enemy, and we should show them compassion. And when the church prays, as it says in verse 3, it is good and pleasing to God our Savior. That sounds like a pretty good goal, right? To please God our Savior. People, we must pray. We must get together to pray. We must invent new ways to pray together. And my hope is that the Lord kindles a fire in our hearts together as a family to pray together without ceasing because we need Him to intervene in our lives. We need Him to intervene in our church. We need Him to intervene in our world. Hmm. It's not prayer that has the power. It's the one whom we pray to. But we say a lot when we pray even when we don't say a lot when we pray. Well, there's two verses. Maybe we'll get through the next seven next week. Until then, let's pray. Lord, um, even now I don't know how to pray. Father in heaven, your name is holy. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our church family, in each of our hearts and in this world, just as it's done before your throne in heaven. Lord, we count on you for our daily provision. Not just to keep us fat and happy but provide for what really is our need. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our sin. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive me for mine. Lord, we forgive those who have wronged us. Hmm. That's hard. And we need your help. Lord, deliver deliver us from temptation. Protect us from our enemy that wants to destroy us. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. Keep us safe from his claws and wise to his plans. For yours is the only power. Hmm. Yours is the only kingdom. You are the only God. To you be glory and honor forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.